Good morning, Church. Good morning. It's such a pleasure and privilege to be here this morning. Um, and uh, you, if you look around, Pastor Fergus and Atelia are not around. So actually, we can have a 45-minute icebreaker if we want to. If we want to. No, no, we're not going to do that, right? We're going to go into the Word this morning. Uh, yeah, it's such a pleasure, such a privilege to be up here. And yeah, there's a little bit of nerves, right? But I personally really enjoyed not just being up here, but I really enjoyed the journey to being up here. The, the learning to steward the Word of God, learning to dive a little bit deeper, to question some of my preconceived notions, to question some of my own, some of my own perceptions regarding the Kingdom of Heaven. And I found it to be a really rewarding journey to being up here. So praise God. Uh, I, Pastor Fergus has allowed me to take stage this morning. Uh, before I go further, let me introduce myself. My name is Lionel. And it, thanks, DK. That's right. <laughs> my name is Lionel. Uh, my wife, Rachel, is in front. You can see she's pregnant. Uh, we have a baby on the way, a baby girl. Her name is Gwendolyn. And my wife, starting tomorrow, we are 37. When I say we, I mean she. She is 37 weeks pregnant. 37 weeks, right? In some literature, 37 weeks equals a full term. So, uh, praise God. Baby's coming any week now, anytime now. And we are ready. We're excited. Uh, hopefully not right now. Let me finish. 45 minutes. Let me have 45 minutes, please. Yeah. Uh, but we have a couple of weeks more to go before our life changes forever. Right? Forever. For the better. For the better. Um, and before I go into my, my sermon this morning, I would like to just give a short thanksgiving right? because I have not done this publicly. And in fact, I was just reminded of this last week as I was preparing the sermon. Last week, my wife and I, we were in Bangunanjin for the first service. 5 p.m. for the first service. And we were there because of a baby dedication. So our friends were having their our friends were having their kids dedicated. So we went there to show some love, to show some support to them. Uh, and during the service, Pastor Isaac was preaching. And Isaac, in his sermon, he touched on the 40 days of prayer and fasting that is about to start. Anybody knows when it's gonna start? August 7. That's right. Exactly a week from now, uh, the Church of Malaysia will go into our season of our annual season of fasting and prayer for 40 days. August 7, it starts. So as Isaac was touching on it, he just touched on it. He mentioned some things and he moved along. And after he moved along, the Holy Spirit prodded me gently. Lionel, do you remember what you prayed and fasted for in the past couple of years? For two years, you fasted and prayed for one thing. And I was sitting there, Isaac was going on. I wasn't listening to him. I was internalizing, right? What was it? What was it that I prayed and fasted for? Because I don't remember what I had for dinner yesterday, right? My wife will tell you I have a goldfish memory. Um, I was thinking, I was praying, I was thinking, I was praying. And the Holy Spirit just said, you fasted and prayed for a baby. My wife and I, our journey to this pregnancy uh, what, took about three, three years, three to four years. So for the past couple of years, we prayed and fasted for a baby, for our family planning. And praise God, obviously our prayers answered, right? Praise God, our God is a good God. Our God is a great God. He's a prayer answering God. Um, I was, yeah, thanks. Praise Him, praise Him. That's right. I was not planning on joining the fasting season this year. It will be a first one, first season we missed in many, many years actually since we joined SIBKL eight years ago. But because of this, I think I have to pray into my daughter's future, right? I'm going to have to pray into the future that she's going to grow up in because the future she's going to grow up in is going to be such a different future than the one I grew up in, right? I'm going to have to stand in faith for her. I'm going to have to ask for wisdom, ask for strength, ask for the 
um, growing of my limited sleeping days, right? And things like that. So I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be fasting this season as well. I'm going to be joining and I urge all of us join in as well as a church, right? Next week, 7th August, Pastor Fergus will be launching it here in the main service itself, the fasting and praying season. The main church will be launching it, I think two days after on, Sunday, uh, on Tuesday. But we will be launching it ourselves next week in service itself. So come join us online, guys. Yeah, I see you. I hope I don't ignore you too much. Yeah, I see you. So come and join us. All right? Yes, that's all for my testimony. Thank you very much for that. Hello. Yes, thank you for letting me share it. Let's go into our sermon this morning. It's taken from Matthew 11. Verses 1 to 15. Now, the first chunk of text we're going to read is from 1 to 6, and then we're going to skip ahead to 11 and 15. Let's read. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf, the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Verse 11 onwards. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the time, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that we will be able to see this verse in such a fresh way this morning. I pray that you use me as a messenger to pass on your message to the church this morning. And I pray that hearts here are soft and fertile ground this morning. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've titled the sermon, The King of Heaven Suffers Violence, and it's taken from this verse. It's quite famous. We all know this verse, right? Kingdom of Heaven. So if you see Kingdom of God here, it's because we are in this series called the Kingdom of God series. The title of my sermon is Kingdom of Heaven Suffers Violence as per the verse that we just read. Now you see, sermon art, so beautiful, right? Obviously, Pastor Fergus had a hand in doing this. So nice, so Instagrammable, so emotional. But I told him, Fergus, can we do this instead? Right? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. So this is my sermon art. I have to show it. Okay, let's move on. Today, I'm going to go in, I'll be, I'm be going into a context. I'll give the context of what we have just read. And we're going to go into three points. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Suffers violence and it may be from us. And point number three, Kingdom of Heaven is not like any of the kingdoms of this world. For context, we see very early in the text that John the Baptist is in prison. Why is John the Baptist in prison? Because Herod Antipas put him there. Why did Herod put John in prison? Because John spoke out against Herod's marriage to Herodias. Herod married Herodias. What's with all these names? So, Herod married Herodias. Why is that a problem? Because Herod, Antipas, married Herodias, who was married to his half-brother, Herod Philip. So, Herodias divorced Herod Philip, 
and Herod Antipas divorced his wife to marry each other. So divorce is not the issue here. The issue here is because Herod Antipas married his half-brother's wife. And in, Le in Leviticus, it says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. In doing so, Herod Antipas dishonored his brother. Divorce is not the issue here because divorce, to a certain extent, with under very strict circumstances in the law of those times, is allowed. We're not going to go there today. I'm just going to let you know that information and we can move on. So the main issue that John had with this, with this marriage was that Herod Antipas married Herodias, who was his half-brother's wife. Brief context, short and sweet, brings us directly into the first point we have today, which is the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What happened to John the Baptist in the course of doing kingdom work, kingdom of heaven stuff? Right? John the Baptist, he's John the Baptist, right? That's like saying Fergus the pastor or you know, Ramesh the guitarist. He is known for baptizing people. Baptizing people into where? Into the kingdom of heaven. Right? He is known for going out there and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is who John the Baptist is. And in the course of doing kingdom work, he was put in prison, as we have just found out. And eventually, if you know your Bible, he was executed. He was beheaded, eventually. Another example would be, what happened to Jesus? Jesus, in his time on earth, he was ridiculed, he was humiliated, he was rejected. And eventually, same thing, he was executed on the cross for our sins. So picture that, right? Jesus, the ultimate expression of the kingdom of heaven versus the ultimate expression of violence against the kingdom of heaven. And even till today, Jesus is still rejected by a majority of, his, of God's people, the Jews. There are not many Messianic Jews and something that we should pray into right as well. And another example would be the apostles. How many apostles lived and died of OH? OH. Anybody knows the answer? Just the one. Of all the, of the many apostles, only one apostle lived to a ripe old age and died in his sleep. And that was the apostle John. Not John the Baptist, the apostle John. John was imprisoned as well, but in his old age, he was released eventually around the age of 90 to 93, thereabouts. Scholars uh, disagree here and there. He was, uh, he, he passed away in his sleep somewhat peacefully. The rest of the apostles, they died violent, gruesome, very public deaths. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Even in the first century, right after the apostles, the first, the, the, early, the first century church, I mean, Christians, we read in history that Christians were beheaded, they were burned alive, they were thrown to starving lions and all these things. So it's not just limited to the apostles and it's not just limited to those times because today, in our day and age, the kingdom of heaven still suffers violence. Last week, as I was doing this, as I was researching, researching this sermon and writing it up, I came across this video on Reddit of all places. Right? I came across this video of a Christian leader in Afghanistan. Christian leader in Afghanistan. And he released, he called it an emergency press release. It was a video released on the first day of Taliban rule in Afghanistan. A year ago, the USA left Afghanistan and the Taliban took over. And you know the reputation of the Taliban, right? We don't have to go into it this morning. So on the first official day of Taliban rule, he released this 
video press release. And in the press release, he was crying throughout about six minutes. He was scary. He was crying. His voice was choked, but his face was blurred. We can't see who he is for safety reasons. Um, he urged fellow believers to keep, keep the faith, to believe that their God is bigger than this. And at the end of it, I found it so heartbreaking. At, at the end of it, he said that for those who are watching this, this being the video, if any of us are left behind, please take care of them. Who will be left behind? Their children, their grandchildren, their elderly, their infirm. Because what this means is that he fully expects to be martyred at some point. That's heartbreaking, right? Heartbreaking. Um, it's a level of violence that people living in Malaysia, a Christian, a Chinese Christian, uh, I have to qualify, living in Malaysia, just cannot comprehend. It is on a scale, incomprehensible, right? The kind of worry when you go to sleep at night, is someone going to knock your door? Is someone going to drag you out? All these things. Incomprehensible to a person like me living in peaceful Malaysia. And it reminded me how privileged I am to be able to worship, to be able to profess Christ Jesus in the society I'm living. Now, I, I know, I understand, it's not easy for all cultures within Malaysia to do so. But as for me, as for my house, my children, my grandchildren, right, we are able to loudly, openly, with pride, profess Christ Jesus. Lord is our Savior. What a privilege, right? Doing this, I'm reminded that, you know, I should never take this for granted. Coming to church, serving uh, almost every week, yeah, it can become a little bit of a routine, but it is still a privilege to walk into church because so many people in the world do not have that privilege. Now, again, I don't want to paint our faith as suffers violence. Take it by force, right? It's not all gloom and it's not all doom and it's not all uh, cloudy days every day and things like that. However, it would be very wrong of me to paint our faith as well as something that is all sunshine, all roses, rainbows, unicorns, right? It's not that because the reality is this, that following Jesus has a price. Following Jesus certainly has a price for those people, for those Christians in other cultures, in those cultures that are a little bit less open, their price is perhaps more severe than our price, right? Their price is super, a lot of worry all the way until their life, right? The price is the life. For us in Malaysia, what is the price that we pay? I believe in our country, the kingdom of heaven, for, for those of us within this same culture as I do, same society as I do, that the kingdom of heaven suffers a subtler kind of violence, a subtler kind of violence. There's a little bit of cunning to the violence we suffer. For example, marriage or Chinese marriages. Traditionally, Chinese marriages are held on auspicious dates, right? Yeah? Yes? No? Yeah? Yeah. Held on auspicious dates. And having your marriage, have, cementing your wedding or your marriage on that auspicious dates, uh, on, this, on these auspicious dates, uh, will help your marriage. It will give you luck in your marriage. It will help your marriage be successful, right? Actually, when you dive in a little bit deeper, choosing auspicious dates, all these things, it is a form of divination. It is a form of divination. And what does the Bible say about divination? Look at Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14. 
9, verse 9 says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. All who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. Choosing auspicious dates is not something like, ayah, small method only, I want to argue, right? It's not, ayah, small method only, because God views certain things, these subtle forms of violence that we, that the kingdom of heaven has to suffer quite seriously. Another example I can give is pregnancy, right? It's the season I'm in right now. Pregnancy. So, if you, even those who are not pregnant, will have heard all the pantangs associated with pregnancy. And of the many pantangs I've heard, one really sticks to my mind because of how absurd it seems, um, even to the point of a bit of humor, right? And it goes like this. The pregnant woman cannot see someone performing physical labor. Um, physical labor of the sort that is not sweeping or mopping or this uh, home chores, but it's the physical labor of the kind where you, let's say, hammer nails, put together furniture with hammers, take apart furniture with saws and things like this. So the log, I was going to say the logic, but okay, fine. The logic behind it is that uh, the, the act of hammering is, you know, like squishing the nail, right? Hammering the nail will result in the baby coming out with the face squished. It's hammered or, you know, like hand broken or crippled and things like that. And yeah, I, I found it absurd to the point of humor, like, where can? Sure not. Like what? Why? How can something like this be believed by many people? Um, but again, to a certain extent, I kind of get it. I kind of get it because the pregnancy journey for us, yes, you know, we, 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 we stand firm on the foundation of Christ and we stand firm in His promise for us, but we are human. Uncertainty happens. Worries happen, right? Um, questions about, oh, can I eat this? What will happen to the baby? All these things will happen in the course of these nine months. And what's the harm in it? Why can't we just check all our boxes? Why can't we just cover all our bases? Yeah, small matter only. Lah. Just believe law for the group of the baby. Ma, right? In a way, the kingdom of heaven suffers a subtle kind of violence when we do this. At this point, before I go into the second, uh, second, point, uh, second point, I want to take some time to address a misinterpretation or a mistranslation of this verse, our key verse today, that I very often hear, perhaps that you have heard as well. In my early 20s, as a boy moving into young manhood, I came across this book, and in the book, the author argues, that, argues these things, right? that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence in the way that the kingdom of heaven reluctantly accepts violence. What do I mean by this? Suffer can have that meaning, right? For example, my wife suffers my cooking because she cannot cook at that time. She's busy. Or my daughter suffers my dad jokes because she has no choice in the matter. Or I suffer my grab driver's driving because my car is in the workshop. You reluctantly accept something because you have no choice. In English grammar, suffer can have that meaning. 
second part of the verse, and the violent take it by force. The author says that the violent, meaning the believers, can take it, it being the kingdom, by force, forcefully. So taken in this context, the kingdom of heaven actually reluctantly accepts a certain level of violence. And we, the believers, are supposed to push forward the agenda of the kingdom, maybe forcefully, with more force, so that, we, so that the kingdom of heaven can move forward. Now, that's quite dangerous. In my early 20s, I really, really believed this. I was like, wow, that was a, that's a great perspective on this verse. And as a boy, moving into manhood, like I said, right, oh, okay, maybe masculinity has to do with this. The author argues that men in the church today is not living to the full identity of what a man in Christ should be. That's what he argues. And the men in Christ should have a little bit of force, should have a little bit of violence, and he uses the story of Jesus flipping tables to illustrate it. Look, even Jesus had some force. Even Jesus had to forcefully do something sometimes to make sure uh, what they, they knew what was right and they knew what was wrong. And that is very, very dangerous because where is the line between a little bit of force and all the way? Where is that line? Right? Where is that where that, that whole gray area is so dangerous. After many years, right? I'm in my early 30s. I'm in my mid-30s now. <laughs> I'm in my mid-30s now. And after many years of diving into, uh, uh, what do you call that? Into this scripture again, speaking to men in my life, reading all the analogies about this, I, I, I've come to realize that this is a wrong translation. It's a mistranslation. It's a misinterpretation of the verse. Because contextually, this text is talking about John the Baptist suffering a certain kind of violence. He was put in prison. The kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. The context of this verse, of this chapter, is not that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. The context is John in prison suffering. And even in the original Greek, yes, it's a little bit ambiguous, but together with the original Greek, together with the translation, uh, together with the context, there is very little chance that this verse can be said that way and interpreted that way. So dangerous. Addressing point number two, which is Jesus flipping tables. Now, believing that Jesus is flipping tables forcefully and violently is a very, very narrow, very, very shallow interpretation of that story. We don't have time to go into it this morning. Perhaps there'll be a part two to this sermon, God willing, right? Maybe we'll go into it another day. But just notice that this is a mistranslation, a misinterpretation. The kingdom of heaven cannot, it is not a mandate for us believers to forcefully advance the kingdom of heaven. And I say this because I, I will show you in point number two and three why, right? <laughs> okay, okay. Everybody, deep breaths. I feel like, I feel like I've been talking a while. I feel like I've been talking a while and we're talking about serious things right this morning. We're talking about suffering, talking about violence, we're talking about misinterpreting the Bible. Serious, heavy stuff. So, a little commercial break. Just a little anecdote. I'm going to break it out into a breakup, you know, all the points with a little anecdote in the middle. Pastor Ramesh said just now that uh, this is a historic moment, um, but many of you may not understand why. I'm not sure he understands why because I didn't speak about this to him. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure why he said it that way, but it is a historic moment, okay? <laughs> and okay, as I recount this story, 
just know zero pride. Zero pride. Okay, I just say it as a funny story. In the serving team, there's this thing called the serving bingo. Who knows what the serving bingo is? We have spoken about it. I think Pastor Ramesh, yeah, I get, I, maybe I've heard of it before. Serving bingo, right? And the serving bingo, a, a, a person completes the serving bingo when you finish these four things. You lead icebreakers, you direct the service, you lead worship, and you give the sermon. And as of today, I am the only person in SRVK Sungai Bulo to have completed the serving bingo. <laughs> no, zero pride. Okay, zero pride. It's just a funny little story. Um, if you feel like, wow, I know, so proud. Huh? Can you serve me bingo? Go ahead, talk to Pastor Fergus, see what you can do about it. Right. So I'm not in a, I'm not in a company of one. Um, Pastor Ramesh is the next closest person. He is the only person. Uh, he's done three, and he has left to do with icebreakers. He has only icebreakers left. And just now, in the beginning of the service, he's like, bro, Jack, I know, I have this cool idea for icebreakers. And I told you, Pastor Ramesh, you don't know what you are saying to me this morning because he has not heard this sermon, right? So now he knows, Jack. <laughs> okay, 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 yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks for indulging me. On to point number two. Deep breaths, we're going to dive back in. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and it may be from us. Building on the threat just now of misinterpreting and mistranslating the Bible, right? Actually, even the NLT translates this verse in such a way. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. The NKJV and NIV are very similar in that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. Very similar. But the NLT translated is, it, it translates the original Greek into forcefully advancing. Is the NLT wrong? It's not my place to say. It's up to personal convictions whether you like that um, translation or not. However, like I said just now, if you have the perspective of the kingdom of heaven, oh, this is telling me that it's forcefully advancing. I can be forceful to advance the kingdom of heaven, right? It's a little bit dangerous. You can also look, that, look at that verse in such a way that the kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing in such a way that, yo, nothing the world can do against the kingdom of heaven will be able to stop it from advancing. I believe that to be a more holistic, that to be a more um, wholesome read of this verse. Because, right, if, because, right, if we take that we take it in such a way that we forcefully advance the kingdom of heaven, that we use violence to advance the kingdom of heaven, we are no, we, we, we are no better than the kingdoms of this world, right? And in the name of the kingdom of heaven, we see throughout history that so, many, so much violence has been done in the name of forwarding the kingdom of heaven. So much violence. So much violence. For example, the Crusades. Right? The Crusades were a series of wars, a series of battles fought over, fought, fought in a 200-year span. Not that it, it, it went on for 200 years, but in, in, in these 200 years, there were many battles, many, many battles, many wars fought, and they were called the Crusades. And in the Crusades, right, experts estimate that four to six million people died in Europe itself. In the context of today, now, a life is a life and it's important. And I don't mean to belittle it, but you may think like, oh, okay, 7 billion people, 6 million people, not many right now, right? But bear in mind during those days, right? Um, 
experts estimate that there were only about 60 to 70 million people alive in Europe, which means the crusade, if we look at it on the upper, on the upper limit, six, 6 million out of 60 million, that is 10% of the entire population of Europe dying. And we say population, not just the crusaders, not just the armies, we're talking about civilians, we're talking about farmers, we're talking about normal people, people living their normal lives, doing their thing in their villages, in their cities. Six million people died in the name of the kingdom of heaven. Because that is how they understood the kingdom of heaven to be. Even in John's time, right? They understood that the Messiah will be a king. A king like David, powerful in battle, mighty in war. A person who will, uh, who will liberate Israel, right? They did not understand who Jesus really was. That's the perspective of the world about the kingdom of heaven. Another example would be the Inquisition, right? The Inquisition. We know the office of the Inquisition was set up by the Roman Catholic Church and they were spread out across countries. And the most, the, one of the most infamous ones of them all was the Spanish Inquisition. In the 200-year influence of the Spanish Inquisition, 32,000 people died, executed. 32,000 people over a two-year period equals a person being executed every other day. Which means you have one day of peace, one execution. One day of peace, one execution. And so on and so forth for 200 years. 200 years is three generations. My generation, my child's generation, my grandchildren's generation. Three generations we see executions every other day. Kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And they did it. They did it in the guise of rooting out and punishing heresy. Heresy against who? Against the church. Against what they perceive to be the kingdom of heaven in those days. Now, in 2022, you will tell me that, okay, la, we know that right now, these guys are obviously not part of the kingdom of heaven, right? They're obviously not part of it. But at that time, they really believed that they were a part of the kingdom of heaven, that they needed to advance the purposes of the kingdom of heaven in such a way. Certainly, there are, there are those, in those in those situations, the Crusades and the Inquisition, that were monetarily, were monetarily uh, uh, driven, yeah, motivated, monetarily motivated in a way that they will murder or they will execute wealthy people take their estates to fund whatever the church is doing, right? Certainly. But by and large, the majority of the believers at that time believed that this was the right way to advance, to advance the kingdom of heaven, right? There are big questions being asked of the church today. Big questions. Questions about sexual identity and our stand on it. Questions about family planning and our stand on it. Questions even about the line between politics and the church and our stand on it. Big questions. But I believe the more pertinent questions to ask ourselves, right, is are we in our own fervor, dedication, our own enthusiasm even to further the kingdom of heaven? Are we actually causing the kingdom of heaven to suffer violence? Are we in the way we are acting, the way we are thinking, the way we are answering, are we 
causing shame, rejection, confusion to the people around us. I recall something Pastor Fergus preached a few weeks back. It was during the leaders' retreat and uh, it, was, it was a pre-recorded message. And in that message, he said that, you know, we don't have to defend God. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to come out and, and show the world like, I stand for Christ. No, you don't have to do that. We don't have to argue with people on social media. We don't have to feel so defended, to defensive when someone comes up and says, this is the problem with the church today. And then we're like, hey, no, la, no, la. I'm going to answer you. I'm going to tell you about all these things. Don't have to do this. Not all these things, right? Be very careful, especially about using social media to do these things. Be very careful. There is a place for talking about God's things on social media, certainly. But be very careful about using social media right, to do these things. Right? Be very careful about using social media. I believe that the better platform will be cells, will be small groups, having over dinners, things like this. A place where a conversation, two ways, can happen. Right? Be very careful about social media. We're going to point number three, right? What if we really must defend the kingdom of heaven? What if we really must tell people what is wrong so they know what is right? What if we, if we don't do that? What if someone else goes into that space and then tells them so the, the wrong values, right? What if we, if, we, if we don't do it, someone else will, and the person who does it may be, may be saying the wrong things. What if this happens? To this I say, and I ask, what would Jesus do? This is what Jesus will do. In John 4, we read the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman by the well. It's a really long chapter, and I've, I'm going to contextualize at the beginning. I'm going to read from 19 onwards. Jesus met a Samaritan woman by the well, and there, he was thirsty. He asked the Samaritan woman for some water. The Samaritan woman was so surprised, so taken aback. Sir, you are a Jew and you're speaking to me, a Samaritan woman, because in those days, the Samaritans are considered second, third class citizens and Jews do not have anything to do with them. So she was so surprised. And in the course of the conversation, they're talking about water and Jesus revealing that those who drink from him will never thirst again. And they will continue to talking. And all the while you see Jesus has been so gentle, so careful with how he is speaking to her, how he is speaking into her life. And eventually, they come to this part of the conversation where she says she has no husband. She has no husband. And Jesus replied, yes, you have no husband, but actually, you have five. This is Jesus' reply to her. Right? Jesus replied, a matter of fact, and Jesus moved on and speak, spoke into her life. He did not, however, make a moral stand. He did not like, whoa, we have five. You know, why am I speaking to you? Or, you know, you have five. You've got to correct it, man. You've got to go into the temple. You've got to repent, all these things. No, Jesus acknowledged it, moved on, continued to speak into her life. And from verse 19 onwards, we read that, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. And the story goes on. The woman goes back to her village. She tells the story to her village and the entire village comes to believe in Christ. Right? The entire village comes to believe in Christ. So from the way Jesus handles the situation, speaking into her life without judgment, the entire village is saved. I want to point out this, this verse right at the end, 26. I am He. I am the Messiah. You know how many people in the Gospels receive this revelation? Not many. And here it was. A Samaritan woman getting the revelation, intrinsic revelation on who Jesus is. I am the Messiah. Wow, a Samaritan woman. A sinner, just like all of us, right? Sinner, my diet. What else will Jesus do? This is what else will Jesus do. Jesus, in Luke 4, speaking to the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then in verse 21, because he was speaking to the synagogue, once again, he goes up and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What will Jesus do? Jesus will preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus will heal the brokenhearted. He will set to liberty the captives, recover the sight of the blind, set to liberty those who are oppressed. If your question to me is, yo, we've got to defend, right? Who's going to defend? No. Do as Jesus does. Because the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdoms of this world. Not at all the same. What we read in Luke 4, there is a direct parallel to the, verse, to the, to the text we read this morning. Right? Direct parallel. Luke 4, we know to be like Jesus' uh, earthly mandate, right? That's his calling on earth. This is what he's doing on earth and this is what he calls us to do, right? And there's a direct parallel to verse 5 in Matthew 11. Preach the gospel to the poor, the blind see, heal, heal, heal who? Heal the brokenhearted, heal the lame, the lepers, the deaf, and raise up the dead. Direct parallel. This is what Jesus will do. Kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world, back in the olden days, right, they want to claim territory. They want to take resources from those territories. They want to, they fight battles, they fight skirmishes, they have conflicts on all these things that they can take. Why take territory? Obviously, they want something, right? They want the resources from the territory, they want the human power from those territories. Today, in our modern times, the kingdoms of this world, they still take. But when I say the kingdoms of this world, it's not necessarily nations anymore. They are highly influential individuals. They are big mega corporations, right? They, are, they could be nations, could be, right? And they take, what do they take? They take especially 
the resources from this earth. They mine out everything, they sell out everything in order to give their shareholders more money, right? They use people, they take what they can from their people without caring how, what happens to the cost of human lives and they just keep taking. They keep taking, they keep taking in hopes of enriching themselves. But my friends, the kingdom of heaven is not like that. The kingdom of heaven gives. The kingdom of heaven gives, right? What does the kingdom of heaven give? Healing, freedom, raises the dead. The kingdom of heaven gives the best news ever. The gospel for the salvation of the human race. That is what the, human, uh, that is what the kingdom of heaven gives. Give to who? To everybody, certainly to everybody, right? But there is a special place in the kingdom of heaven, especially for those who are oppressed, who are defenseless, who are helpless, the people who are in the fringes of society. From the Old Testament days, Deuteronomy 10 says, he administers justice for the fatherless, the orphans, and the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Even from the olden days, right? The kingdom of heaven has a special place for the defenseless and the helpless. We see that replicated in Jesus' conduct in the New Testament as well. Right? Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors, with sinners, and uh, he, he, did not, he did not condemn adulterers and things like this. The kingdom of heaven cares very, very deeply for this group of people, marginalized on the fringes of society. And as I say that now, right, who are these people in our society today? Who are these people? I'm sure groups of people will come to your mind. Right? We do, I don't have to say it out because it may be different for all of us, but who are the marginalized, the oppressed, the helpless, the defenseless in our society today? However, however, Jesus went in hard, really, really hard against a specific type of people, a specific type of people, really hard, right? In Matthew 23, 13 to 36, 13 verses of, it just starts like this, woe to you, scribe and Pharisees, hypocrites. Every verse starts like that. I've just picked out two verses for us to read this morning. Verse 13 says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you to shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Jesus went in hard. No holds bar, right? And even in verse 14, we see a, a, uh, a focus on the helpless, widows' houses, right? This particular sentence, so hard. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. In what you do, you cause people to have a different perception, perception on the kingdom of heaven. In what you do, you have caused the kingdom of heaven to suffer violence. And in doing so, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. <sighs> heavy, right? Heavy. And who was Jesus speaking this to? Speaking to Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites. As I was researching this sermon, as I was talking it over with Fergus, Pastor Fergus and Atelier, right? Um, Pastor Fergus mentioned something 
very poignant to me that I feel like I should share this morning. He says, Lionel, you know, we never see ourselves as the Pharisee in the Jesus story. We never see ourselves as Pharisees in the Jesus story. And that's true. I personally, I see myself as, well, one of the disciples, the one who says, Jesus says, come and I will follow. I see myself as those people um, who, who were in the group, in, 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 the, in the thousands who, who has tasted of the fish and the bread. That's why I see myself, right? We never see ourselves as the Pharisee in the Jesus story. But I can see that once I reflect on it this way, yeah, the identity of being in a group is so powerful. Right? Group identity. For example, no shit thrown. For example, when someone says against something against the, the church of today, what do we do? Whoa. Nola, how can you say that? Church is not like that. Let me tell you why. When Jesus saying who he is, right? I will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Whoa, how can you say that? And everybody come and shoot arrows at him, right? All the Pharisees came and shoot arrows at him. We don't see ourselves as the Pharisee in the Jesus story, but more often than not, more often than not, the shared group identity, right? is so powerful and we never realize what is it that we are reacting to, what we are taking umbrage to. Oh, how can you say that about me and my faith and my church? That is not right. And as I reflect on the kingdom of heaven, suffering violence, perhaps from us, I can see some of the criticisms, some of the accusations against the church today being true. I can see it. Um, you know, I can see why the world outside says that the church today, now, I use the church very liberally, right? General, big, big term, um, to cover all Christianity. Per, of course, all, not all churches are like that, not all Christians are like that, but it's just to cover because this is the general criticism and accusation against the church today that we are hypocrites. That we that we tell the world to do as I say, not as I do, right? Big accusations against the church of today. I can see how some of the arrows that the world is shooting at the church today is actually being supplied by ourselves. I can see that. And church, I, I, I'm preaching this to myself this morning as well, right? To, to have a bigger heart for those that Jesus has a heart for. I'm preaching this to myself as well, to check my impulses when I hear something being said against the church. To check my reaction when I hear someone saying like, this is right and this is wrong and what you are doing is wrong because it's wrong. I, 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 I reflect and I'm preaching this to myself as well, right? To, 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 to make sure that inadvertently, with our goodwill and our enthusiasm, that I am not accidentally causing the kingdom of heaven to suffer violence and shutting up the kingdom of heaven for others. Beware the leaven of the Pharisee. Something so small, yeast, right? Something as small as yeast grows and grows and grows. Beware the leaven of the Pharisee. Worship team can come up. I'm going to close. It's, it's not about wading into the battle about sexual identity um, and all that. It's not about 
going into disagreements with Bible verses. Like, this is what the Word of God says. So, if you're doing anything in the contrary, you are wrong. It's not about this. What it's really about from the days of Jesus until now, right? What it's really about is doing what Jesus will do. Having a heart for the people that he had a heart for, especially had a heart for, right? And if we do this, we do this. If we care for the needy, we take care of, our, of the widows, we take care of the orphans, we take care of the defenseless and the helpless in our society, very naturally, I believe, our accountability right, in, ma- in bigger matters, in the matters with big questions, naturally, we have a bigger accountability. We will have a greater accountability. And when we do have that kind of accountability, that kind of reputation, very naturally, a city on a hill, you can't block the light. Naturally, light will shine, right? Like salt, you will naturally flavor the world around you. And that is what I believe the kingdom of heaven is all about. More of you, Jesus. More of your power in our lives. More of your the resurrection life in the words that we speak to the people around us. More of your influence, right, Lord, in the world around us the right influence, the values that are close to your heart. Lord, more of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. Father, I pray this morning for those of us who are suffering violence in the cause of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, you know who these people are. You know the things we go through to profess Christ Jesus as our Savior. So I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are going through it. Strength, perseverance in the name of Jesus. Comfort in the name of Jesus for those who are suffering this. And for my brothers and sisters, for all of us here this morning, I pray, Lord, for a renewal, Lord, a renewal for the things that are close to your heart, a renewal in our mindset, Lord. Lord, not that we should go into the world to combat, to forcefully push forth the kingdom of heaven, but Lord, that we just take care of the people who are helpless. We take care of communities that are downtrodden. Lord, that we take care of those people who are close to the heart of Jesus. Lord, if there be anything that is in our hearts this morning that should not be there, I pray, Holy Spirit, you remind my brothers and sisters, remind us all, Lord, that we may repent, truly repent and turn from our ways, Lord, towards the way that you have asked us to be on, Lord, this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the word that was spoken this morning. We thank you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that it will grow into fruit. Thank you, Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards all of us and give us peace, shalom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Praise God. Come on, church. Yeah.